0: following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. All right, good evening. We turn our attention now to the Word of God, and uh, Matthew chapter 5 is where we are headed this evening. Matthew chapter 5, we're in the Sermon on the Mount and it's uh, simply titled tonight the Sermon on the Mount part 2 because we addressed uh, the introduction to the sermon in verse 1 already. Last time, this has been a little bit ago now, but we looked at the verse in uh, in verse 1 where it says, and seeing the multitudes, he, that is Jesus, went up on a mountain and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, So, verse 2, after seeing the crowds, after being seated on the mountain and the disciples coming to him, Jesus opened his mouth and taught them. Let's trust the Lord to help us tonight. Father, I pray that you would work in us as we look at the word. May it convict, reprove, correct, encourage, exhort, teach, and train correct who are needed in our lives as the word of god does and it's intended to do in jesus name amen so the need for such teaching should be uh, obvious both then and today people need to hear from god at the, uh, at the present time and they needed to hear from god equivalently back uh, in that time i was interested to uh, run into somebody who 's said something in a different way than what I have thought of it uh, with my Bible literacy work, but they have made an effort to combat what they call bible poverty Bible poverty, not having a Bible, not knowing a bible um, and that 's the case today. We need in our culture teachers that would sit down with five thousand people and 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 train them in the way that Jesus did here. I don't know if there was 5,000, but he certainly did teach large, large groups of people and fed the 5,000 or 4,000, which included many women and children in addition to the men that are counted there. But we need this. this the need for it for Christians here is obvious. Uh, we need people to be teaching God's principles to the lost and to even the disciples. So that's what he did. And it says in verse number three Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, we must read the passage the right way in order to grasp its full and correct meaning. Last time, we we cautioned ourselves that the blessings here are connected to spiritual virtues, not physical issues. So, for instance, blessed are the poor in spirit, the issue is poverty of spiritual nature, not poverty of financial nature. So poverty is not the issue, spiritual poverty is. In verse four, blessed are those who mourn. Sadness over life's losses is not the issue. Mourning over sin is the issue. The next one, um, or the, actually the one after that, verse six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Being hungry and thirsty is not the issue. Physically, but rather righteousness is the issue. You see that? So it doesn't say, Blessed are the poor. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. It modifies the word spirit with, or the word poor with in spirit. Same with the hungering and thirsting. It's not speaking of somebody who's short of food, has food insecurity, as they say today, but somebody who is hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And so, if you went the one direction on all of these to the physical dimension, you know, sadness over lost loved ones, uh, monetary poverty, and all that, if you, make, if you go that route with all these, you're gonna make mince meat of the passage. You're gonna go down a social gospel pathway to correct the world's problems, but uh, you're going to totally misunderstand the Sermon on the Mount. It will mean something entirely different than the divine preacher intended for it to mean. There's another pitfall in the passage, too, and that is that thinking by our own moral reformation, we will become the qualities that are listed, and then, only then, do we receive the blessings that are promised. So if I you know, don't exhibit meekness... I'm not going to to earn the kingdom of heaven, because it's blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit, well, it's the, they inherit the earth, but you'll see what I say about that later, uh, you know, so if I generate meekness, if I become poor in spirit, if I hunger for righteousness, I will earn the blessing that God has promised in the next, or Jesus has promised in the next phrase in each of these kind of pairs, you know, there's the spiritual character trait and the blessing, the character trait and the blessing in each case. That would be a self-centered, effort-based approach to the message of the Sermon on the Mount, and it's contrary to the grace of the gospel. It's kind of like the fruit of the spirit, you know, the fruit comes as a multifaceted package, but it's not self-generated, not self-generated. Certainly, we participate in its, you know, in the work of the Spirit, but you don't make the fruit of the Spirit yourself. You participate in the fruit of the Spirit, and that's where the blessing comes because God is working. So in contrast to the works-based mindset or the works-focused mindset, we should read the passage with a God-centered mindset. The virtues listed here uh, are self-reduction, self-magnification virtues. This self-reduction comes to us when we recognize that we need God and the forgiveness of Christ Jesus. It comes to us when we recognize we're unable, apart from God, to show any of these virtues truly. As it is, God works in us the virtues that we seek from him. The blessing of each virtue is the end outcome that is listed. let me say that again. The blessing... Of the virtue is the end outcome that is listed. So the virtue, poor in spirit, the blessing is the end outcome. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What this means is that uh, true spiritual contentment, true satisfaction, true deep-seated joy and happiness come from pursuing God and the things of God, not from materialism, not from pleasures of the world, The world's happiness is nowhere near the Christian's happiness, nowhere near. I mean, in fact, well, I'll get to that in just a moment, this idea of happiness. Um, But there's another part of the blessing that the Lord gives here, and that is the state of existing in the virtue itself. It's not like you're poor in spirit and you have no blessing until some later time in which you receive the kingdom of heaven or you're comforted or you inherit the earth, That all those things, it is what you become by faith that is part of the blessing too. So it's not just you get the kingdom of heaven so you feel nice. It's that you are poor in spirit and you recognize God has worked that in you and he's going to give you the inheritance of the kingdom of heaven. So part of the reason I say that, This is that Jesus presents the blessing as a now thing. He doesn't say, blessed you will be in the future, does he? He says, blessed are those, are, right now. Those, not just later, but now. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, not blessed will be the poor in spirit when they receive the kingdom of heaven or whatever. You know, the different blessings are listed here. You are blessed, and so the future prospect and the present characteristic of being these spiritual traits are part of the blessing. In fact, let me just say this, that these are marks of true believers. What he's saying here is this is what true believers look like, and this, these are the blessings that they will receive in the future, even if they don't seem to be so blessed right now in terms of of worldly metrics, like they're persecuted, they will receive the kingdom, they will be rewarded greatly in heaven, verse 12 says, despite how the world estimates their circumstance. Now, of course, our energetic and thoughtful participation needs to be included in this endeavor. God uses that, among other things, uh, to produce this kind of blessed situation in you. I don't think you can experience the full blessing of God. If you're just a couch potato, you know what I mean? If you're actively participating with God and the things of God and his spiritual development that he's working in you, then you will have that full measure of this blessing. Um, it's not just going to come to you through osmosis as they say. So trust God to do that work in you, Philippians 1.6, and work it out. Uh, he will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. Now, I've just kind of talked, I'm talking generally about these before I get to the eight eight character traits that are listed here. But I want to answer this question first before we get there, and that is, what is this blessing that, that Jesus is talking about? I alluded to it a moment ago with words like contentment and happiness. Often this is read like this. Happy is the person who is poor in spirit. But the word happy has been so watered down in modern English that it doesn't accurately convey the idea of the spiritual blessing that Jesus is talking about. You know, everybody wants to be happy today. You know, and in fact, that becomes the metric for people's behavior, as you've often heard us say or you've perhaps heard others say, you know, somebody leaves their marriage situation or something because they say, God wants me to be happy. What they mean is, translation, I want to be happy, and I'm not going to be happy in this situation because I've decided I'm not going to be happy. So um, happy is just meaningless in a way in that sense. Everybody wants to be happy, but that's such a fleeting emotion that depends on circumstances and the hour of the day. They demand that they would be happy, and this is the measure to them of what is right or wrong in their life. But according to the Bible, as I know you are aware The scripture tells us that the most important issue is that God is happy, not that you're happy, that God is pleased. Now I've looked up in a a Greek lexicon or dictionary the definition of this word. It says someone who has transcendent happiness. I can go with that because the word transcendent, that really corrects the problems of the word happy and uh, elevates it to the kind of level we're talking about. Some uh, have suggested the translation, fortunate, fortunate are those who are poor in spirit because they will receive the kingdom of heaven. But that has too much of a luck idea to me. Uh, You know, I catch myself sometimes just using the colloquial, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, well, I mean... And it's not like we're saying thank your lucky stars or, you know, glad that uh, fate had a good day for you planned or something like that. Uh, so I try to be careful about using those terms. Uh, I'm sure you'll catch me sometime uh, using it that way. Yeah, by the way, it's kind of similar to the, uh, this, the phrase like, I can't believe it. Is that really true for Christians? I can't believe, I can't believe what God just did. <laughs> Why would you say that? You're supposed to believe in him. Well, anyway, uh, so I prefer like privileged or favored, favored, with the nuance of the favor or the privilege of, or blessing coming from God. Such people are specially advantaged by God. They have a high standing with God. They have a high level of favor, which refers us back to the idea of grace, right? Favor is grace, the grace of God. The idea of blessing connects with the concepts of blessing and shalom in the Old Testament. Think of somebody in the Old Testament, say in the reign of David or the reign of Solomon, when things were really good, and they were able to, you know, sit under their uh, their fig tree, so to speak, and and no enemies came, and they, you know, they harvested from their own vine and their own vineyard, their own fields, no problems, nobody was stealing from, they had a peaceful time. They died a good old age. That's shalom. It's like in Psalm 1, you know, blessed is the man who who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful. He's like a tree planted by the river. Never worries about the drought because the river's right there. He's got all the supply he needs, even though all around the world, all around him is in, in a terrible mess. He has what he needs. Um... Numbers chapter 6, remember the Aaronic blessing? You know, they pronounce a blessing on the people of Israel, and may God bless you and keep you and make his face smile upon you and give you peace and be gracious to you and all of that. These refer to the state of a person who is spiritually well, spiritually whole, uh, in good relationship with God, one who, who fears God but also knows the love of God. Okay, So we're talking about the idea of blessedness. What is this? Well, in, in, in ideal conditions, it'll, in the future, in the kingdom, it'll be, um, and, and also in the eternal, eternal state, really, uh, a real measure of what this blessing will look like. You'd be able to look back in the Old Testament and say, okay, what does it look like under the terms of the Mosaic Covenant? Blessings, remember, and curses? Think of those blessings. The agriculture, the peace, the, the productivity, the fertility, Uh, the blessing of God on everything. All of that is going to be the portion of the people of Israel in the future kingdom, those who believe, and those of us that participate through faith in Christ. Um, And then then in an unlimited extent in the heavenly state, when that peace uh, that we have, that blessedness will encompass both physical as well as spiritual, eternal blessings apart from any kind of sin at all. So, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are the peacemakers, the pure in heart, the merciful, the, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the meek and those who mourn. They will have that kind of spiritual favor from God that we're talking about, the wholeness, the wellness, the, the happiness, fortunateness, the whatever word you, you put that in there in your mind. Now, with that in mind, think about carefully, think about how you would process each of these statements. If you were one of the crowd gathered listening to Jesus teach as he sat, and I trust you would be sitting there on the mountainside with rapt attention at what is this new preacher going to say to us because he was new, this time was early in his ministry. This is a huge meeting of people, and I believe it was. I mean, some have tried to say it was just you know a small group of his disciples. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> I think there are a few people beginning to follow him then around. Um, but think how you would process this. If you were one of the ones seated on the Mount of Beatitudes, Remember when we looked at this? I showed the slide pictures of the Mount of Beatitudes and how it looks out over the Sea of Galilee. Maybe you saw that on the YouTube or the live stream uh, two weeks ago, maybe it was, when we had that, the live stream version of our, our Bible study on Wednesday um, uh, from, my, from my home office. But if you were one of those overlooking the Sea of Galilee, think about how Jesus went through these. You know, he didn't read them fast. I bet he went. Slowly and let them sink in. You need to let them sink in too. Ask yourself if the characteristics listed here are descriptions of your own life. Ask yourself what God wants you to do about your character in light of what we read here. Eight virtues. Blessings from God person of faith who exhibits the following characteristics, these are, these are evidences or manifestations of God's work and faith in God and Christ in these people. Think of the first one. Blessed are you if you are poor in spirit. Why? Because yours will be the kingdom of heaven. Think of of the opposite with me for a moment. Who is not poor in spirit? Somebody who is rich in spirit. Somebody that has a high view of themselves. Somebody that's haughty, proud, arrogant, self-sufficient, perhaps atheistic, perhaps self-autonomous. Sometimes these things manifest themselves even in us who are believers. Believers. Someone who is poor in spirit recognizes that they are lowly before God. They are humble. They esteem others better than themselves. Philippians 2.3 talks about that. Timothy is a guy like that. We need to be people like that. Oriented towards serving others. Remember our Lord came not to what? Be served, but to serve this is the kind of thing. If you're poor in spirit, you're happy to serve, as has often been said. Um, I don't know if I'll get this right, but, uh, you know, when when you are, you'll, you'll know how you do or you'll know how you react to this sort of thing if you're treated like a servant, you know. I can't remember that phrase exactly. Do you have that in mind, brother? No, you've... You, I know you've heard it before. Must have heard it at ABC before because life is for service, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, so uh, once you're treated like a servant, you, you, you'll, see it, you'll see if you really are one, <laughs> if you really have the attitude of one. Um, so w- but without God, they, they know they are in a hopeless condition, these ones who are poor in spirit. They live responsibly but recognize that any favor that they have comes from the Lord God. Okay, poor in spirit. Do you recognize that about yourself—that you are impoverished? Uh, you know, through the riches or through the poverty of Christ, we have become rich. We who are poor, Paul says in Second Corinthians, uh, Corinthians, chapter nine. Think about that. Our poor spirits. Well, we are that, but we just don't—you uh, know—we don't recognize it sometimes. Blessed are those who are that way and recognize it and act that way. And such humility, the Lord says, is not without its reward. It's not pointless to be poor in spirit. It's not without a light at the end of the tunnel. To such people belong the kingdom of heaven. I have a cross-reference over to Matthew 19, verse 14. It says, But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Most of us probably would look at a small child and say they, they're kind of you know, helpless, helpless maybe, dependent. They are kind of a model of this being poor in spirit. Um, and that's what Jesus said here about the children. Uh, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Connecting the dots here with Jesus' teaching to Nicodemus, we see that the poor in spirit are parallel to those who are born again. Remember, Jesus said you have to be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. And here he's saying, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." The haughty in spirit—it's not the kingdom—is not theirs. Okay, you have to be born again, and so people who are born again are equivalent to those that are poor in spirit. They, uh, you know, obviously. Poor in spirit may come first in a sense and you recognize your need and then you appeal to Christ to save you. So I'm not saying that somebody can be truly poor in spirit without knowing Christ. That just is not the case. Uh, in biblical Christian theology, they have believed in Christ. So in this way, they will enter the kingdom and possess it and they will enjoy its blessings to the full extent of what God is going to provide. So... What I'm going to do is I'm going to stop there because I've given you enough thoughts for the evening. Uh, remember, just as we review what we looked at this evening, you want to be careful about how you read the passage. Think of the spiritual characteristics. Don't uh, you know, think about moral reformation like, you, know, you hear me talk about being poor in spirit and you say, well, I'm just going to really re-up my efforts to be poor in spirit. No, recognize that you're poor in spirit. Recognize what God has said about you appeal to him for salvation, believe in Jesus Christ, and you will be blessed, like he says here, uh, for those that are poor in spirit. And remember, too, that the blessing is not just future, but the blessing is now. If you're poor in spirit, if you're meek, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, then that is a blessing. You recognize that? People don't care about righteousness, but the fact that you know that you need it and you want it, that's a blessing, a very good blessing. So we leave those with you, and uh, we'll mark it for next time to pick up at verse number four, uh, those who mourn. Let's pray. Father, as we close tonight, our little Bible study, I pray that you have helped us to see a little bit of something new from what our Lord taught. Lord, help us to be poor in spirit. Help us to give evidence of that work of grace through faith in our lives that you have worked in us. Lord, may we not be haughty, stuck up, acting like we're something when we're nothing. Lord, to be humble and be servants. Well, thank you. Pray for your blessing on this church, Fellowship Bible Church, and on all of its people, those that are watching online, those that are here in the building. We pray, Lord, for our upcoming services as well, that you will bless them as we celebrate uh, here at this time of season, this time of year rather, uh, the resurrection of Christ. May we have good uh, good remembrance on Friday of his death and Sunday of his resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.